morning. Nice to see you all. Um, I get the privilege of continuing our series this morning. We're in the book of Ephesians, and the series is entitled Crafted. Before I do, I just wanted to add my love and appreciation of Mr. Gus Rosier. I'm gl- yeah, he's a great man, isn't he? Did you know that I probably would never have got the girl if it wasn't for Gus and his coaching? Um, he is a love guru. Um, and just a great man, actually. So um, this time next week, Gus is going to need a lot of encouragement when he runs past Edgbaston Cricket Ground. So let's make sure we're in fine voice for him. Um, I've entitled this morning's talk, Seeing a Right. And I've got three basic premises um, which we'll be exploring. And they are this, that God is greater than you think, that God is kinder than you think, and that God is closer than you think. And that's come through in worship. He is more powerful, he is more compelling, and he's more accessible. But what we need is just some visual adjustment, like putting on the right lenses so that we can clearly see what's really there. It's possible to miss the beauty and the goodness of God by just not looking rightly, uh, by having a, a blurred focus, turning our eyes onto other things so that God becomes more peripheral and therefore smaller in our sight. It's possible to miss all sorts of things that way, isn't it? Have you ever been in that situation where maybe you're in a car or you're out and about and someone says, oh, wow, look at that sky, it's just beautiful. And you look and all you can see is cloudy darkness and you think, well, it doesn't look so great to me. Until maybe you look the other direction, you realize, ah, there it is, the sunset. And it is beautiful and it is compelling. It's just that you were looking east when you should have been looking west. A few weeks ago, we had a big event in our night sky, uh, the supermoon, yeah, with a cape on. And, um, and, at one, and, and, and the supermoon coincided with a lunar eclipse. And so at one point, we had a big red moon in our sky, a, a blood moon. Did anybody see it? Yeah, okay, great. Um, I saw some photos, and it looked <laughs> amazing. And... I did think about getting up at 2 a.m. To, to see the blood moon in our sky. After all, this won't happen again for 30 years. But in the end, I genuinely thought, I think I can spare the sleep more in 30 years' time. So um, I'm going to stay in bed. My bed is very comfortable. And so I slept right through. And so my eyes were shut to the beauty that was out there. It was still there. I just didn't see it. And the thing is, I do really love space. I really do. I love stars. I find them so compelling. They are beautiful. Becca will often see me lingering around outside in the garden on a clear night, just looking up at at space, because I I love it. And that's just in deepest, darkest Birmingham. You see, at the best of times, we only ever see a fraction of the starry sky because of light pollution, etc. So on the screen here, we've got on the left side the view of space in an inner city. And as you go more towards the right, you see more of a kind of country view. And the same sky looks so much brighter, so much more brilliant. You see so many more stars. When we go to stay at my in-laws near Tenbury, well, there the sky looks incredible. It looks amazing. And it's just a different perspective. It's the same sky. It's just like you can see things more clearly. There's a different focus. And incredible sights have this effect on us, don't they? That they cause us to just awe and to wonder, 
kind of wide-eyed and wide-mouthed, quickened heart. They provoke worship. And even at the youngest age, we have this innate response to incredible sights. When, when Anna Rose, our middle daughter, was one year old, Becca took her to the Sea Life Center. And I don't know if you've been before, but there's this part in the Sea Life Center when you walk through this kind of glass tunnel within this big aquarium. And so you're surrounded by water, and there's a shark, and there's a ray, and there's some colorful fish. And for an adult, it's just an awesome experience. But this is what it does to a one-year-old child. (laughs) (coughs) I mean, her face is just a picture of awe and wonder, isn't it? She's taking it all in. She's like, wow, look at all this. It's amazing. And she was like that for, you know, minutes. She'd seen something she didn't realize was there. It captivated her. And so today I'm praying that God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, will do some visual correction in us and alter our perspective so that we can see what is really right there before us. I pray that God would help you and me this morning, and as always, I'm preaching to myself as much as anyone, would help us to see him aright and to realize who God is and to therefore be left in awe and in wonder and in worship. So we're going to turn to Ephesians 1, verse 15 to 20. That's our passage this morning. It's on the screen. I'm going to read it out for you. It says this, For for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. That is what we call a killer passage. It's amazing. This promise that we might have our eyes opened to something far greater than perhaps we've yet seen. This morning I want to talk about three things. Visual impairment, visual correction, and breathtaking vision. So to start with visual impairment, that might seem like a strange place to start because Paul opens up this section by celebrating the vision of the Ephesians. He says that he's not stopped giving thanks for them because of their faith in Jesus and their love for the saints. And true spiritual sight is evidenced by faith and love. That's the evidence that you see things are right spiritually. According to Paul, Faith in Jesus and love for him and love for people is the hallmarks of seeing aright. But if and when moments come where our vision gets distracted, then often the first things to become compromised is this faith and this love. Normally, when our focus is not on God, it actually becomes more on ourselves. We occupy the central focus and we become bigger and everything else becomes more peripheral and smaller in our sight. That is the human condition. It's all about me. I am the one and only. I've quoted Martin Luther 
many times than this, but he so helpfully defines the sinner as that person who is curved in on himself. Rather than looking up and admiring God and being satisfied in him, we curve in in search for admiration and satisfaction in ourselves. That's our common condition. Though we find nothing praiseworthy or nourishing within. Our tendency is so much to be like this that it can happen so subtly, just kind of creeping in so that your vision just becomes more and more dull, like you're just moving from the right to the left of the screen in a starry night, and with more pollution, you're just not seeing things quite so clearly. It can be so subtle. I know because it happened to me recently. I want to tell you about that. See, the last few months have been busy. Um, Research submissions, moving to a new hospital, teaching programs to design, uh, interviews to conduct, patients with complex needs to look after, a portfolio to keep up, a wife and kids to love well, and um, a body that needs kicking into shape for next week. It's been busy. It's been intense. It's been unusual. And uh, I've been just trying to cover the bases and working really hard and expending lots of energy and trying to stay on top of it and make sure it all gets done to a high standard. But in the process, I just found myself becoming increasingly anxious and fretful and restless and irritable. I find myself creating scenarios in my head of how um, something that I've just done might go wrong. Often just ridiculous things. Maybe I've overlooked something or maybe I've not quite covered everything or what if this happens or what if that happens. And to be honest, my mind has been a storm of fretfulness, unable to let things go. I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like that. Just fear of making mistakes and fear of what people will think. Fear of man. In doing what, I've, what I'm called to, I lost grip of my primary calling, which was just to, to love God, to gaze upon him and to rest in him. Center on him. Remember that word? The thing, the thing is, I barely knew it was happening in truth. So subtle. Just more and more curving in and looking for comfort and for peace within myself. My ability to work it out. My ability to think this one through. And instead, what I got was circular processing and just a loss of sight of God. In place of sunsets, clouds. In place of stars, pollution. Just wasn't that I didn't trust God. I, I did. Wasn't that I didn't love God. Uh, I do, I really do. I just couldn't see God. And so I was just becoming colder. And we're all, we're all vulnerable to this. I know we are. The Bible tells me. Take Peter, for example. The disciple whose sight seems more sharp than nearly anyone else's most of the time. Incredible highs of faith. And in Matthew 14, we see... Jesus calling Peter to walk on the water with him. And and he does it. He's just got Christ in his sight. And he knows who he is. And he walks towards him on the water. But then something happens. And his focus just shifts. 
a storm settles him and he begins maybe to curve in a bit and thinks, who am I? I can't walk on water. This is crazy. And begins to sink. To somewhere along the line, God didn't appear so big to him as the storm or himself. And Jesus rushes in and rescues. Take, for example, the Israelites after leaving Egypt. They've seen God do amazing things. They've seen God. God has been leading them with a pillar of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night. The very presence of God has gone before them. Amazing. But then somewhere along the line, the surroundings and themselves occupied more of the center of their focus than their God. And so they see more of the desert and the lack of resources and start grumbling. Why are we out here? It was better in Egypt. Where is God? Where is God? God's providing manna in the morning. God's providing quail in the middle of the desert. God's providing water from a dry rock. God was right there. Greater than they could think of. Kinder than they knew. Closer than they knew. But they just didn't see it. And the thing is, this happened to the Ephesians too. In Revelation 2, we get Jesus speaking to the church in Ephesus. He's speaking to seven churches. And he speaks to the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2, 1 to 7. And he starts by commending them because of their hard work and their perseverance. They've worked really hard. They've really persevered. But then there's this chilling moment when Jesus says to them, uh, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Oh. It's like somewhere along the line, this great church that Paul was writing to had gotten so busy that God had just become peripheral in their vision. That, that Jesus wasn't front and center anymore. Their busyness was. And the result was that their love had become cold. Where are your eyes fixed today? Where are your eyes fixed? I wonder, can you see him? Is Jesus great to you? Is he kind? Is he close in your perception? Do you love him? Are you looking up or are you looking in? Do you notice people around you at the moment or are you too big in your own sight to see anyone else right now? I believe God's got a message for you this morning. Same as he had for me. God is greater than you think. God is kinder than you think. And God is closer than you think. Like the sun. We've got this um, sunflower in our garden. At the moment, it's, it's literally like this. <laughs> There's just not much sun. And uh, it's curving in. Christ wants to, like the sun shining on a sunflower bringing warmth and bringing light so you can uncurve and just open up to who he is. Let's talk about corrected vision then. See, the apostle Paul, (coughs) writing this letter, he'd had his vision corrected. You could read about it in the book of Acts. And here, seeing aright, he appeals in verse 17 to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and he calls him the glorious father because that's who he is. Almighty God, creator of the starry sky, 
is a good, good father. Not that he's a bigger version of your dad. Now, some of us have had really good dads, I have. Some of us just really have had bad ones. Um, but the analogy is not comparing God to your dad. He's not a pumped up version of your dad. Rather, fathers are supposed to be like God because he is father. That's who he is. He is the plumb line. He's glorious. He's the source of all life. He's the origin of all creativity and beauty. He is generous. He is kind. He is patient. He is mind-blowingly impressive. And he's attentive to his children. And Paul asks in verse 17 that the believers may receive a spirit of wisdom and revelation so they might know God better. It is believers that he's addressing. Those that have already seen Jesus and put their their faith in him. Those who have already had their love commended. Paul's addressing them because he knows there's so much more for them to see. So much more of God to know. God is not big enough in our estimation yet. His glory, we've barely glimpsed. His kindness, we've only just begun to fathom. And his love, we've only sipped. There's more. And Paul knows that we, along with the Ephesians, unless we have a bigger vision of who Christ is, we won't be effective witnesses until we really see who he is. We won't be able to say, I found a treasure worth selling everything for, and people genuinely believe us. Or, better to have one day with him than a thousand elsewhere. To be able to say that, we need a view of God as he really is. Witness, in the end, is a natural outcome of the seeing eye glorifying in God. And Paul asks that the eyes of our hearts will be open to see God better. And by heart here, he means the center of our perception. The not kind of, may your left ventricle see God better or your right atrium. It's no, may the eyes of, may, may your inner being, may in, your, in your deepest place of perception, may you see God and be able to declare with confidence, he's a glorious father. Do you want that? Does that appeal to your heart? I really pray it does. I pray it does, else your heart's in a sorry state. He wants to take you on and bring you to himself. So the question is, how does such revelation come? How? It comes through the Son. It comes through the Son by seeing Jesus. The Spirit opens our eyes to see Jesus, and when we see Jesus, we see the Father. Jesus is the radiance of the Father's glory and the exact representation of his being, Hebrews 1.3. He is the image of the invisible God, Colossians 1.15. He is the fullness of deity in bodily form, Colossians 2.9. He is Emmanuel, God with us, Matthew 1.23. And it tells us in 2 Corinthians 4.6, Paul writes this. This is incredible. He says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness made his light shine on our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Let me read that again. Just think about that. Let's just sink in. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine on our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. And so there was. 
at his word, beams of light illuminated creation, enabling it to be filled with beauty. And in like manner, God, even now, commands his spirit to enlighten the eyes of our heart, as Paul describes it in verse 18 of the passage we're looking at. So just as he commanded light in creation, so he commands light in our hearts so that we can see Jesus in his beauty and his power and his majesty and it can flood our hearts and chase away the darkness and enable us to glory in him, wide-eyed, open-mouthed, looking like my daughter Anna. Spirit enables us to see the glory of God in the face of Christ. I've been trying to think of a helpful analogy for this. And as a dad to three daughters, I immediately thought Disney and presents. Um, if nothing else, having three girls um, gets you used to Disney princesses and also spending your cash. Um, and you know, so, sometimes when you want to give someone a present, maybe this happened to you, you might blindfold them or get them to close their eyes and, and then the moment comes and you whip it off and it's like, da-da! Well, in the film The Beauty and the Beast, there is a scene just like that. Has anyone seen Beauty and the Beast? Actually, it's a classic, so you really should do. Um, there's this moment in the film when the beast wants to communicate to Belle, the girl, just how much he loves her, and Belle loves books. She loves books. So he gets her to close her eyes, and he leads her into this huge, dark room, and she's got her eyes closed. And then this great moment happens when the curtains are opened, and light fills the room, and Belle kind of turns her face to the light because of the warmth and the brightness of it. It's just so appealing. But at this moment, she's still got her eyes shut. And then she says, okay, now. And she opens her eyes and she just takes in everything that light is enabling her to see. And it's this whole world of books that she can dive into. And she sees and she knows she's loved. And she loves. The Holy Spirit, as it were, opens the curtains so that light can flood our hearts and that we can see what is right there before us. The glory of God in the face of Christ. Amen. Sometimes when I come home from work, I, um, I like to come home with some gifts for my girls. And Ivy's a bit too small for this at the moment, but Chloe and Anna, how this will often play out is I'll bring them over to me and I say, okay, girls, close your eyes, put out your hand. And without fail, Anna will always do this and kind of, you know, <laughs> she's, trying to, she's trying to catch me out, but I won't be caught out by a three-year-old. <laughs> Not this time. <laughs> and um, she's there, eyes closed and hands opened. And then um, I say, one, two, three. And then they'll see what's there, a kinder egg normally. And it's just excitement and it's wonderful. And God loves to give us good gifts. And the Bible says he loves to give us the gift of his Holy Spirit. He's a good, good father. So that through the Spirit's work in our hearts, he might enlighten us to see the glory of God in the face of Christ and realize we have a glorious Father. We have a good God. To see God, to see God clearly, the only way is to come through Jesus. He's the only way to the Father. You want to know what God is like? Look to Jesus. And what you will see is not an angry, distant, temperamental God. What will you see if you look to Jesus? to see who God is. Well, you'll see a God who heals and who restores. A God who reaches out to the outcast and to the downtrodden, who will touch the untouchable. You'll see a God who silences the proud and who elevates the humble. 
you'll see a God whose truth is unchallengeable, whose power is unrivaled, whose love is unimaginable. You won't see a God, like Pete was saying this morning, who will brashly take what is his, but rather you'll see a God who'll pour himself out in kindness and in service. You'll see a wooden cross. You'll hear the words, Father, forgive them. You'll see an empty tomb. You'll see a risen saviour, able and willing to make us clean. This is God. This is the glory of God in the face of Christ. This is our God, the servant king. He calls us now to follow him, to, to just see him and rest. Go to God in any other way, you'll get a distorted view. You're like staring up into space and only seeing pollution. God will appear distant and cold and impotent. Go through Christ and you'll see him as he is. Because Jesus says in John fourteen six, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You'll end up going to someone else who is not God. But all can come through Jesus. What's the effect of the Spirit's vision-correcting work within us then? Well, it's enormous. All things appear differently. And it's not escaping reality. It's just seeing real things more clearly. So back to my last few months... Well, in my state of stress and anxiety and restlessness, as always, Becca helped me. (laughs) You know, my wife helped me. And helped me to realize that I was trying to grab control of things over which I can't have ultimate control. And that actually, she used this word, she kind of got me on my own analogy. Said, you're just curving in. I was like, you little... So right... (laughs) <laughs> anyway, it's Martin Luther's analogy. So, um, And losing sight of God. And so on several occasions over recent weeks, I've literally taken myself out to have a look at the starry sky and remember who God is. And I've, tried, I've just been filling my mind with things which are true about God and praying differently. Because, you know, there's a way of praying which makes much of your fears and your concerns that you pray, but really what you're saying is, Lord, there's this thing and there's that thing and there's the other thing and there's that thing and there's this thing and this could have happened to pray that didn't happen. And, that, and actually all you're doing is looking at the thing um, that you're worried about and it's becoming bigger and bigger. And then there's another way of praying which makes much of your God, which says, Jesus, you are my provider and you are my healer, and I thank you that you are the king of kings, you're in control, and I thank you that you're the lamb of God who's taken away the sins of the world and taken away my sins, as far as the east is from the west, and you're my righteousness, and you're my hiding place and my shield, and I trust you, and in that way, God becomes bigger in your sight, and you start to see things clearly, and the spirit starts working within you, and you realize the thing I was so concerned about is just more peripheral. It's not that it's not there altogether. It's just that it's not the main thing because Jesus is. Jesus didn't take away the storm when Peter walked on water. He just encouraged him to look at him, not the storm, and he'll be okay. My tendency can still be to curve in, so it's a daily choice. It's not a, and I cracked it, see you later. It's a every day, remember, oh, Jesus first, front and center. I'm not going to take my eyes off him. I don't want to grow cold. 
Because the fruit of seeing him is so wonderful. In place of anxiety, peace. In place of fear, security. In place of stress, rest. In place of feeling immobilized, hope to keep going. And again, we see this throughout the scriptures. In Genesis 28, 10 to 17, we meet Jacob at Bethel. And he's just running away from his brother Esau because he's just stolen Esau's birthright and Esau wants to kill him. And so Jacob is fretful and not sure what the future's going to be and so he lies his head down on a rock. He's not thinking straight. And he has this, this vision of God, of angels ascending and descending on a stairway to heaven, as it were. And he realized that God is there and God is watching over and God's with him. And he wakes up and he says, the Lord was in this place and I never knew. Because God was closer than he thinks. And his eyes had been opened. Or in Job 42.5, Job, having a revelation of God, says, Lord, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen. Because the Spirit had helped him to see who God is and that God is greater than he realized and kinder than he realized and closer than he realized. And so the place of greatest despair and suffering became actually a place of knowing God and of restoration. In Luke 7, 36 to 50, it's one of my favorite stories of how Jesus interacts with someone. And we read about a sinful woman, you know, a woman with a reputation. And she's known around town and she sees Jesus and runs into a room full of moral, upstanding people. And she just sees him and falls at his feet and cries and wets his feet with her tears and wipes his feet with her hair and pours perfume out on him because the eyes of her heart had been opened and while the Pharisees in the room saw a controversial teacher in Jesus, she saw the glory of God in the face of Christ. She saw her saviour and her healer and her gift of righteousness and her God. And she saw and she believed and she loved. So when you see God as he is, he turns shame into acceptance. Or the disciples in Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus. From a place of confusion and despair and uncertainty again about the future. Jesus walks alongside and as Jesus starts to speak, their hearts burn within them because the spirit's working. But then it was in the moment of breaking bread that they see, oh, this is God. Jesus is alive. He has risen. Glorious Father. Do you want the Spirit of God to work within your heart today so that you might see him better? He wants to. He really wants to. He really wants to. John Owen is a Puritan preacher from the 17th century, and he said this. Do any of us find decays in grace prevailing in us? Deadness or coldness or lukewarmness, a kind of spiritual stupidity and senselessness coming upon us. Let us assure ourselves there's no better way for our healing and deliverance, yea, no other way but this alone, namely the obtaining a fresh view of the glory of Christ by faith and a steady abiding therein. Constant contemplation of Christ and his glory putting forth its transforming power unto the revival of all grace is the only relief in this case. Spirit enlightens our heart so that we might know the hope we have in Christ, the inheritance we have in him and his power at work within us. So how does this happen? Well, just give him every opportunity. 
So get, in, get into his word. Maybe for you, that's listening to preachers. Maybe it's reading the scriptures. Maybe it's finding a book. There's a book called Rejoicing in Christ by uh, Mike Reeves. I just advise you to get it. It's really good. Um, maybe for you, it's listening to worship. And it's the melodies which were written to glorify God. And they just help you to connect with him and see him better. Maybe it's fellowship. Getting into a centered playlist trio or whatever or um, small group, or coming to church on a Sunday, and just making sure you're around people who will help to lift your eyes and allow the Spirit to work in that way. It's also through the sacraments, through communion, through baptism. It's exciting. In a few weeks' time, we're baptizing people, and I'm going to pray that for those people, that's a moment of, wow, my eyes are open to see what I have in Christ. But there's a continual, ongoing sacrament that God has provided us with in the breaking of bread and the taking of wine, by which we remember his body broken, his blood poured out that we might be brought to God. These are the ways that spirit works within us and brings us to a breathtaking vision. And I've not got any time to talk about this, really. And all I want to say is that this life of illumination, where Christ shines, where the spirit shines in our hearts, that we can see the glory of God in the face of Christ, is characterized by hope. Not fear, not self-preservation, but hope because of who our God is enables us to take hold of the inheritance we have, which is namely this, that he is our God and that we are his people. That's always been the promise of scripture. And so our inheritance is God himself and his new creation, which we get to inhabit. And we can be sure of this, that we will be like him when we see him as he is. And then finally, it's characterized by power. And this is what I just want to just take two seconds to say something about. You see, this life characterized by a view of Christ is a life of power. It it empowers you to live life. When my eyes weren't on God, I felt really like I didn't have the power to keep going with everything. As soon as I saw more of Jesus, I felt empowered. Why? Because his power is resurrection power. Since the Son of God, God was risen from the dead, he's been bringing new life. And working this resurrection power. We know that one day he will make all things new. The book of Revelation tells us he's going to wipe every tear from every eye. And he's going to undo all sadness and injustice and evil. But for now, he lives in us so that we can work to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We get to wipe the tears away from eyes now. We get to speak for justice and fight evil and bring comfort and hope and life. We get to work with the power that's within us, having seen Christ as he is, to bring about the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And so we don't push out refugees, but we give an open arm. And so we, don't, we, we, we celebrate addiction recovery. And we, we believe in food banks. And we believe in meeting up with lads on a Monday night who haven't got any community and kicking a ball around with them. And we believe in celebrating musicians who just want to be understood and who want their creativity to be celebrated. So that's why as a church, we do things like food banks and impact and Monday night football and looking at how we can play our part in the refugee situation, in the migrant crisis. Because that's about resurrection power, new life. It's about living out what we've been called to, having tasted and seen that the Lord is good. 
And so as you go back into your workplaces and communities and houses and schools and universities, just ask yourself, what needs resurrecting here? And be open to what God wants to do in and through you as you steadily look to him. Shall we stand I'll pray? Sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. we stand here now and we invite you Holy Spirit to come in this amazing grace and to again illuminate our hearts so that we might see the glory of God in the face of Christ Lord I just pray that where fears and anxieties and worries have become so prominent and so big. Would you correct our vision now? That we might see Jesus, the Son of God, our Saviour, and in you, Lord, to rest. Thank you, you have for us a life of hope, a glorious inheritance, and power to be more than conquerors, We want to walk in that calling. We want to do it by seeing you, Jesus. Not by working hard now, just by simply refusing to forsake our first love. Sharpen our sight. Warm our hearts. Come, Lord God, I pray. Come even now, Holy Spirit, I pray. Come and work, Holy Spirit. Come and bring illumination. We receive of you. We believe in you. It's faith that accepts eyes to be opened. I know that Belle had to open her eyes to see the bookcase. Chloe and Anna have to put their hands out to receive the gift. Lord, we want to do that to allow the Spirit to flood in. Holy Spirit, at this moment, And tomorrow morning, and tomorrow lunchtime, and tomorrow evening, and through every moment of every day this week, this year, this lifetime, Lord, we want to say yes to more of you. Lord, we lift our eyes to where our help comes from. We look to you, and we love you. Amen. Amen.